As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. My children are only little and already I'm frustrated with our education system. It's particularly the casual references to bright children. Those children who, because of the way their brains work, find maths and English easy. These are the ones who are identified as clever, branding those children who might struggle with those subjects, but whose curiosity abounds, whose imagination means that poetry, ideas, solutions to problems are prolific, but because they find it difficult to remember obscure spelling rules or their seven times table, are deemed less able. Well, with me today, I've got someone who has shown the world hard and fast that this traditional perception of which children are bright is total rubbish. Dr. Maggie Adarin Pocock defied all the expectation foisted upon her by her school. The dyslexic black girl from a broken home who attended 13 schools was urged to forget her dream of becoming an astronaut and told instead to focus on nursing because that's a science too. Well, she proved them wrong. And today, Maggie is one of the world's most highly respected space scientists, having worked for the Ministry of Defence. She's developed instruments for detecting landmines and been involved in the development of the Gemini Telescope in Chile. Today, her goal is to inspire new generations of astronauts, engineers and scientists through her talks, books and TV programmes. Maggie, thank you so much for being here today. Lovely to be here. And thank you for the introduction. It makes me sound really interesting. <laughs> Well, we, I think we all know that that, that is absolutely true. Um, I wanted to also thank you for being such an inspiration and so honest, because actually talking about dyslexia is probably the biggest thing that can help people who, who have dyslexia. Yeah, I totally agree. But it's quite hard. I must admit, um, um, before I became sort of a, a higher profile, I didn't mention it very often. Did you not? Uh, and it's funny because I went through the school, I think partly it's because I was never formally diagnosed. Never? Uh, no, as you know, I've, I've never, I've done sort of a sort of a short online test. Yeah. And I think all the evidence is there. But yeah. I've never actually formally been diagnosed. Yeah. And you find ways around it. But um, well, so all through the school system and even when I was at university and uh, actually my first job, um, I realised I found things hard and writing was a struggle. And uh, especially in the scientific community, it's all about you know, writing papers and, and creating papers and reading papers. And I found that very hard too. So there was all, all the evidence there, but with no formal diagnosis. Uh, but then I realised that um, uh, it, it gave me other abilities. Like I love storytelling. And so that's what I do now. I spend a lot of my time going out and visiting kids and um, sort of telling them about the wonders of space. Yeah. So, um, uh, and I realised that sort of it's a yin and a yang. Yeah. So, but I think, um, uh, I think, yes, it is important that more and more people who have dyslexia come out and say they have it because it shows all the things you can do with dyslexia. 
Yeah, and there is this sort of bizarre metric that if you can spell well and do maths, you know, English and maths seem to be the cornerstones of the education system. But there are some people that just don't find those subjects really easy. And yet you are gauged against this metric. And I totally get it. If you find spelling really difficult, I mean, why should that suggest how creative you are, how good at problem solving you are, which is the ultimate skill? Yes. And and, and I think the very uh, the biggest difficulty is when you first start at school it is all about reading and writing and unfortunately I don't think so much streaming takes place these days but I think kids are still oh yes they're bright oh yes they're not so bright and so for dyslexics as they as soon as they get their foot in the door of school uh, they're at a disadvantage because it's the spellings and the things like that that they find more challenging and yet yes they have so many other qualities but they're not really measured in the same way and I think these qualities are harder to measure so they're sort of ignored and put to one side because in the school system especially at the moment it's sort of what can we test what can we measure uh, what label can we stick on things Mm -hmm. and so uh, at school I was put in the remedial class because I was just considered to be sort of quite dumb and uh, and I think you almost sort of you, you buy into that yeah and uh, I think I was lucky because I got lots of support at home and my parents were saying you know, it might take you longer but you can do this but um, it was the feeling that um, I, I effectively wrote off school um, I, when I was first went to school I just thought yeah I'll sit at the back I, I won't pay much attention <laughs> this isn't really for me yeah you're almost told like don't contribute because you don't have anything well, worth contributing yes I mean I'm, I'm as far as I know not dyslexic but I definitely struggled at school mainly because I just didn't really see the point in it and I just I think I just needed a bit more maturity to realize that working hard can actually be quite rewarding and that didn't come till I was about 16 but you definitely I was definitely told don't read aloud don't put your hand up don't ask questions don't volunteer to be in the school play and that has such a profound effect on on a person I think I think so yes Um, because you you are disengaged with a a system that is engulfing your life really schools when you're a sort of child it's sort of all-encompassing and so if you're disengaged with that it sort of sets you off at a disadvantage but that's why I love going out to schools and speaking to kids Uh, because sometimes I get to a school and they say oh yeah don't mind Johnny at the back you know he's not really going to pay much attention and so um, everything I'm saying is trying to find something to trigger Johnny's uh, sort of imagination it's sort of yeah other aliens out there you know how do we get to other planets there's usually something especially with space because it's such a wonderful subject but there's usually something that can get kids asking questions and that's what it's about really it's that curiosity as you say. And when did you first have an inkling that this you know label of, of being dumb was not accurate that you actually did find learning interesting when did that start? Because I remember a specific incident in school and it was, um, it was a science class. And I, as, as I said, I was pretty disengaged with school. But I remember that um, in science, I paid a bit more attention because science got people into space and space was my sort of dream scenario. That's where I wanted to go. And uh, the, so the teacher asked the question and it was, if one litre of water weighs one kilogram, what does one cubic centimetre of water weigh? And I worked out, yeah, a cubic centimetre of water is a thousandth of a litre and a thousandth of a kilogram is one gram. Therefore, um, a, a, a cubic centimetre of water should weigh one gram. Yeah. I was quite chuffed with myself, you know, because dyslexics are quite logical. So I was able to work that through. So I proudly put my hand up you know, from the back of the class. And I think the teacher was probably initially shocked. You know, I never engaged here. You know, what was she doing? Uh, but then I looked around the class and no one else had their hand up. So I felt a bit you know, self-conscious. You know, I'm the dumb one at the back. You know, just you know, put your hand down. So I put my hand down. But the teacher, uh, you know, stunned that I put my hand up, you know, gave me sort of an encouraging smile. No, no, go, go and do it. So I put my hand back up, you know, one gram. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was that sort of magical moment. Oh my goodness. You know, I got that right. And no one in the class had worked that out and I did. So if that, if I can do that, you know, it is that instant, what else can I do? <laughs> and so I think it's sort of, it's like a, a rebranding of yourself. Oh, okay. So I can do that. And the others didn't realise. So yeah, I'm not as dumb as I think. And I'm not as dumb as they think. So yeah, it, it's sort of, it, it's all about confidence. And that's what I love to give kids when they ask questions. And they say, oh, this is a dumb question. There's no such thing as a dumb question we're there to explore together (laughs) and then as your school career progressed I mean did from that moment did the teachers start looking at you in a slightly different light do you think they sort of thought oh well maybe she's not what we thought she was well, I think the problem was, because I moved around schools so frequently, 13 different schools, um, I might have made sort of inroads in that school, but of course I go to the next school. But um, uh, my, I think I'm quite lucky that I had a very strong desire to know all about space from an early age, because that pushed me into, into a sort of, a, actually I'd say an opportunist, because I wanted to get out into space, and so I was always looking for opportunities to, to improve um, my, the probability of me getting out there. And so I remember um, when I transferred from one school to another, other they asked me uh, what stream I should be in you know top stream middle stream or bottom stream because they hadn't got my notes from the previous school yet and so I lied <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say but I just said no no I definitely top stream top stream yeah that's me and, um, and how old were you here oh gosh I must have been oh about 13 12 or 13 yeah and so and so I realized what I was doing was probably it's slightly sneaky but I realized also that um, if you're in the top stream it's easy to go down but if you're in the bottom stream it's almost impossible to struggle your way to the top so I thought you know I'll I'll just give it a go I mean sink or swim and um, yeah and so I was lucky because um uh, I was in the top stream and uh, my father um, I just sort of transferred to live with my father and he was giving me lots of support. We were going to the library, but didn't have the internet then. But <laughs> we used to go to the library and look stuff up. And we sort of studied together. Mm. And so I was able to survive and, and continue in the top stream. But um, it's sort of one of those sort of moments you think, you know, um, uh, do I sort of continue on the path I am? Or should I sort of try and shake things up? And I think I went for shaking things up. <laughs> And so when, was this the top stream altogether or was it? Yes. So I think this was the top stream probably for maths and English. Yeah. Um, and yes. And so I don't know how I managed in English, but it's quite interesting because um, I, um, I did sort of um, um, GCSE maths. But when I was doing A-level maths, because I have some dyspraxia, uh, I remember my, my maths teacher saying, I just don't think you're going to, you, you get your numbers the wrong way around. You're not going to survive this. But I did. So, um, uh, yes. Uh, so the dyslexia doesn't just go away magically. It's always there. And it's always a challenge. Uh, but it's nice to, as you grow older, you see the benefits of it. And um, I think um, I'll base my career on, on many of the benefits I've had from dyslexia. How? So what, what qualities, what benefits has, has dyslexia given you in your career path? So um, I, I, sort of, I studied, I sort of got my uh, degree in physics from Imperial, which was a, a sort of an amazing place. You know, sometimes a Nobel laureate would waft by and you'd like, oh! <laughs> you'd always feel the aura. Uh, and so I, I did my uh, degree in physics at Imperial because to me, physics was the study of everything, everything out there in the universe, but everything closer to home as well, you know, to the tiniest particle we can conceive. So physics was definitely the subject for me. But then I stayed on and did a PhD. And then I sort of finally emerged, you know, Dr. Maggie, but um, it was trying to work out you know, where to go. And so I worked um, for various different people. Uh, you mentioned sort of the landmine detection and things like that. Um, but at the same time, I felt um, I loved speaking to people about science. And uh, I, I, I always remember a scenario. So you go to a dinner party and you're sitting next to someone and they sort of turn to you and say, oh, yeah, so yeah, what do you do? Uh, expecting to say, uh, say something. And I was like, oh, I'm a scientist. And you can see you know, the look in their eyes, the fear. Oh, my goodness, she's going she's gonna to sprout a crazy at me I, I, 
And I was like, oh, no, no, this is what I do. And, it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, that's really fascinating. And they'd be totally surprised that science could be fascinating. And that it wasn't all done in a lab. Oh, yes, that's it. And that you can get out and about and do all sorts of things. And so um, I, and I realised that I loved communicating that, telling people about the excitement of science and also changing their mind about science. And so although um, most scientists sort of, you know, have a sort of very classical career, they, sort of, you know, they go to university, you know, sort of leave, maybe stay in university for a bit, maybe get out in industry. But I decided, again, to sort of shake things up and I sort of set up my own company because I wanted to do, I was trying to recruit people into space science and I would put job adverts out and I wouldn't get any responses and I think you know as a space scientist it's, you know, it's a pretty cool title yeah amazing and, and also I travel the world and you know looked you know to the virtually to the edge of the universe so why aren't people joining so I decided it's ridiculous I'm gonna go out and speak to people so I started going out to schools and um, so I think um and it's that that sort of dyslexic trait of the communication the storytelling making science it's exciting because it's fantastic but sometimes as scientists we're not very good at conveying the excitement so I think that's one of my dyslexic traits of conveying that sort of message the stories and making it exciting and, and showing people the wonder of it <laughs> and in the sort of academic world of obviously you've achieved amazing things academically do you think the dyslexia has been a help or a hindrance so I think that uh, dyslexia is a help in some ways because it, it gets you to think outside the box. Um, dyslexic thinkers, um, we don't do, always take the, sort of the, the, the straight route from A to B. Sometimes we sort of you know, we, we take the more circuitous route, but that means we encounter more ideas. We come up with different things. We think outside the box, literally. And so I think that has definitely helped on some of the projects I've been working on. You, uh, I think dyslexics are also, uh, and I don't know if it's actually the nature of dyslexia or just the less dyslexics are brought up in an environment where they have to find workarounds and because you know you can't spell that so you use another word you know, it's sort of a um, I've got to write this um, paper so I'll put lots of pictures in it <laughs> so um, we, we're used to finding workarounds and as a project manager managing big projects and when you hit upon a problem finding a workaround is really useful so I think thinking outside the box but also then sort of a, being a, a sort of em, a, having good empathy so understanding your team understanding the challenges they're going through um, I remember one project I was working on I, I spent a lot of time drinking coffee with my colleagues <laughs> Because they were having sort of challenging times and it's good to understand yeah, what they're going through. So it's sort of these, these sort of traits. But the thing is, when you're at school, people don't recognise them so much. Mm. But when you're a grown up, these are the things we need for the future. Mm. So these dyslexic traits can really come through. <laughs> I know. I think one of the things that I've really realised in this podcast is that communication is such an important skill. And yet there's no like there's no lessons for communication or presentation yes there's loads of tests for numeracy and literacy but I, th I think that that's one massive skill that education seems to be overlooking yes and I think I'm hoping they're getting better because for instance a dyslexia is her a dyslexia is hereditary and my daughter has it too um, and actually my husband has it too so she's got you know she's got, she's got the double barrel and uh, but I think they're, they're getting better at school so she does sort of you know um, show and tells at school and then she, she, sort of, she comes to life when she sort of doing these things because those dyslexic skills enable her to, to tell an amazing story and all the kids you know, are, are, sort of, are, are wowed by what she's saying whereas if she has to sit down and sort of write things down she finds it more challenging so uh, it's just trying to find different outlets for the creativity for kids and and, and the thing is it's probably easier to uh, mark an essay and sort of look at the grammar and say yes yes no no uh, than it is to um, to mark a presentation but at the same time you know it, it, some people that is a better outlet for them than others so yes um, I think that there is a bit more diversity in schools in terms of you know, those outlets. Your, did your parent, how did your parents support you? And do you feel that their input was helpful in terms of you mastering your dyslexia? 
So yeah, I think I was I got encouragement from an early age. Uh, my father um, uh, 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 came from Nigeria, so I'm first generation, sort of born in the UK. But my father came from Nigeria, and he was quite worried because he had four daughters, and he felt that uh, um, we we were effectively in a foreign country, uh, and um, due to our skin colour, we, we stuck out from the crowd. And I think when he came in the 1950s, the UK was very very different and quite a hostile place for immigrants. Uh, and so um, he felt you know education was the thing that would see us through. Mm. And so um, when I was young, I remember him saying, um, when I was probably about four or five years old, so um, what college of Oxford do you think you should go to, Mackie? <laughs> <laughs> because he instilled in me from a very early age that education, you know, uh, education is the great leveller. Um, if you want to go, go uh, raise yourself socially, it's education that will do that. But see, that was a bit of a problem for me because um, I felt yeah, education is the key. But I went to school and I felt I was failing. Mm. So, um, but um, he sort of lots of support, lots of help. And also, uh, sometimes he would say, um, okay, Maggie, you find these things harder, but that doesn't mean you can't do them. It means you've got to persevere. It means you have to work maybe harder at these things, but it doesn't mean you can't do them. Uh, so, um, so lots of support in that way. And I mean, obviously speaking today as a sort of mother of 21st century children, I think there's sometimes a bit too much pressure on our children to perform. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Germany and they don't even start formal education until they're eight. And you look at the Germans and it's not like they've done badly in life. <laughs> you doing pretty well out there. <laughs> in terms of sort of, creativity and innovation um and you didn't you didn't interpret that as pressure to do well i think to a certain extent it was and um and, and that's why sometimes i felt i was disappointing my father because I, although you know he was saying education was key i was not doing well in the education system so how do you address that but i think yes kids should be kids and sort of that you can learn in so many different ways and i think yes uh, i think education uh, especially for our young kids is quite formal um and it would be nice to sort of have more expression more more play almost and, and learn through that um and so i think it did put pressure on me but it also and I think it was a combination because there was sort of a um, support and pressure from the outside. You know, education is the key. But also I was reaching for the stars and I wanted to find any way I could get out there. And for a, a while I, I wanted to um, join the Air Force. I thought, oh yeah, it's lots of people, you know, we're in the Air Force that go out into space. And then I thought, no, I don't think I can take orders that much. And then I thought I, I might go to Russia because, you know, they sent people into space. They put the first woman into space. And so I had all these crazy ideas buzzing in my mind uh, that enabled me to try and get out there. So I, I think that was a, um, I think that was probably a stronger driving force in my life um, and, and, and that was actually a help because um, um, the education was a means of getting to my my crazy goal <laughs> and how did you did you share these crazy ideas uh, no not really actually I think um, even within the family uh, I uh, I didn't mention because I think I didn't share them because the dreams just seem so very, very crazy. And it's funny because even at university, I, I mentioned uh, uh, to a friend that I said, oh, yes, I'm really into space. But you know, it was a bit of hush hush because, you know, this you know, crazy dyslexic kid. Um, and, and, and I suppose as I got further through the education system, I, I was able to clock up sort of a, more of the things I needed to get there. Then I could sort of reveal more. But it was there from, from as far back as I can remember. But it was a sort of a, a fairly closely guarded secret. I didn't, I didn't tell many people. 
people. <laughs> because, you I mean, you see sort of the space paraphernalia for young children um, and space is often a sort of fad. But clearly for you, it sort of endured and became more and more of a passion. I did. And, and you see, that's what I always say. You know, um, kids, when they're young, they sort of, um, um, they, uh, sort of they think, oh, I'm going uh, uh, to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a, a fire person and all these sort of um, ideas. And they grow out of them. Sophisticated people grow out of them. But sort of unsophisticated people like me just, no, no, I still want to do it. <laughs> Were your parents into space? No, my father. It's funny um, because my parents split up, and sometimes I was with my mother, and sometimes I was with my father. And uh, my father was sort of into science and and things like that, but my mother was into sort of um, drama and art. And I used to love things like that as well. And so it was almost a sort of a split. Which way? Because my my mother thought I should try and be an actress and and sort of go in that route. Um, And um, uh, and so she encouraged me. So we did speech and drama. We did all sorts of things when I was living with her. Um, but I decided that um, I think science was a safer place <laughs> because uh, my elder sister is an actress and it's a challenging job. I and mean, she's very successful, but it's still very challenging. So I decided to do science. But now uh, I'm getting sort of a, <laughs> both uh, both sides of my family sort of merged together because I, I, I sort of uh, I, I present science to people. So it's like, <laughs> it's like the two sides have merged now. <laughs> and when did you ever encounter any sort of resistance that you shouldn't be in this world because of your gender because of your ethnicity because of your dyslexia did you ever get sort of kicked back or was it quite open Um, so it was quite interesting because as a black female scientist um, I didn't mention the dyslexia sort of early on in my career so people weren't aware of it but um, there were there were I would encounter stereotypes so I distinctly remember sort of going to uh, some offices one day. This is probably about a year after I'd um, got my PhD. So I was Dr. Maggie out there in the world. I was managing a project and I went to one of the contractor's sites. I was you know, there with my little briefcase and sort of wearing my suit and feeling quite pleased with myself. And I got to the uh, sort of a uh, main reception and the guy sort of you know, looked up and handed me a set of keys and said, you need to start cleaning the offices at the back first and then work your way through. There's nothing wrong with being a cleaner. No. But, but the problem is the assumption. Mm. See a black woman, she's got to be the cleaner. Mm. No matter what she's wearing, I thought I look quite smart, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and, and the thing is, that there's always that moment, what, how do you respond to this? And um, I always think that, you know, if I go, you know, guns blazing, how dare you? <laughs> I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, and so um, what I always say, oh, no, actually, I, I'm, my name is Dr. Maggie Adair, and I'm here to see so-and-so. And, uh, and so it's like a re-education. And that's why I love the opportunity of appearing on TV and radio and things like that, because it is that re-education. So people don't make those assumptions. They don't leap to the conclusion that, oh, black woman, you know, she's just here to be the cleaner. Uh, so it is, it's a wonderful opportunity to try and do that in a sort of a gentle way. But try to, and also um, show kids you know, that you can literally reach for the stars. You don't need to, you, you're not limited by your ethnicity, your gender or anything like that. You're only limited by your dreams. <laughs> One thing that really strikes me about you is your positivity. And this is something that sort of abounds from the moment you walked in here, actually. And I've, I've seen you on stage before. And I think that positivity is so important. I was reading something you'd said um, uh, about, you know, being an unusual person in the room means that people listen to you. <laughs> and there are so many people who would say, well, it means I can't speak up. It means I don't have the confidence to share my ideas. But you say, well, actually, it's, it's a great benefit because 
It means that people remember what I say. Yes. And, and so I think, yeah, that's it. I think being a minority, I think uh, I've met many people who see it as a, as a disadvantage. But I think it, it can be, but it depends on how we use it. And the thing is, um, um, I, when I speak, I think people do remember what I say. That's why I've got to make sure it's really something really good. <laughs> Because good or bad, they're going to remember and they're going to label me with that, um, with that sort of, uh, with that brush. So um, I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> but, uh, but so, but, and I think, yes. Uh, and I think through my career, uh, I don't think I've got positive discrimination, but I think there have been some situations where the pe- I'm just the unexpected. And um, the fact that I can sort of articulate and come up with ideas and do things uh, comes as a surprise to some people. I, I'm looking forward uh, to being in a world where that isn't a surprise. Yeah. But um, uh, I think at the moment, it's, it's much better than it used to be. But I think it still is in some cases. So um, I'm hoping for my daughter, when she's going through the system, that yeah, that, w- that won't be a surprise for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always say to my children that it's actually a really good thing to be memorable. Yes, I Because children so. want to kind of conform, you know, to look the same, <laughs> to be the same, to be the same. I remember I wanted to be small. Uh, I'm, I'm tall. Um, and uh, <laughs> I really wanted to be small and cute just so I can kind of blend in but actually as you get older having massive feet and being quite tall is is unusual and quite fun really too but but it's funny because both my sisters are six foot my two elder sisters I always thought I was going to be six foot and then I sort of stopped at five foot seven so of course I wanted to be tall (laughs) but I think that's it grass is always greener on the other side yeah and and so yeah I think it is uh, and I think um I've been lucky that um uh, one of the dyslexic traits is to get to know yourself I know my limitations yeah I can't spell for toffee (laughs) my daughter brings spellings home and I think goodness me I don't know if I could do that <laughs> um, but, um, I, I, so, but I, I know my limitations and I know my strengths and so it is working to the strengths and yes I, I'm not as tall as my sisters and I, I sort of I still some part of me still wishes I was but yeah <laughs> seven, I can work with that <laughs> you're a space scientist who cares about those extra inches um, I was listening to uh, you being interviewed and one of the, my most favorite things that you said was you asked about your greatest discovery and you sort of casually referred to the early missile warning system that you helped develop and um, and uh, and the stuff you did to help us understand kind of climate change. And then you said, but I think my greatest discovery is an understanding of myself and what makes me tick. And I think that's so true. And it's so clear when I meet you that you do have this understanding of yourself. Is that something you'd had from the beginning? And how important has that been in terms of defining your success? Yes. So I think it's not something I had at the beginning. It's something sort of, uh, that sort of uh, I developed, um, I suppose through the school of hard knocks. Sort of, you know, uh, sometimes you think, oh, I want to do that. When I first went to university, uh, or when I first dreamed of going to university, because it wasn't necessarily a given, um, I always oh, I always pictured myself as sort of an Einstein-like character, you know, with a pipe, you know, thinking deep thoughts, writing amazing <laughs> equations, you know, and coming up with theories of the universe, you know, linking it all together. And then um, as I went through the system, I realised that I'm much more hands-on. And so practical projects are much better for me. And so, um, uh, uh, and, and so it, it was a moment of, oh, but that means that, uh, I'm almost eliminating that. But it means that another world opens up. And so I think as I've gone through uh, and maybe attempted things and thought, no, this really isn't going to work. Um, one of the reasons I went into work in industry is because I didn't want my career to be based on the papers I write. Because as a dyslexic, I, I was thinking, if that's my main output and that's how they're going to judge me, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so I sort of steered my career. And so I think it has helped. And, and there was a moment where I was doing sort of science communication going out and seeing kids and and, and really enjoying that uh, and I, I I wanted to sort of can I, should I stay in sort of 
you know, the, the traditional science or should I branch out and do a little bit of the science, but more of the science communication? And because that's where my strengths lay, I decided to make that decision. It was quite a hard decision because all my life I've been struggling you know, to get you know, through academia and things like that. And so to let that go and say, OK, this is where my strengths lie. I, I, I don't regret the decision at all, but it's quite a hard decision to make sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um what would you say is the most desirable quality in a child? Ooh. Oh, well, I, I'm slightly biased, but I'd say it's been inquisitive. Yeah. Wanting to know stuff. Because um, uh, at home, we used to have this rule, you know, five whys and you're out. Because, you know, it's like, why is this? Why is that? And, you, and it just goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think that's what, and that's what kids have. And, and to me, that's what it means to be a scientist. That's what we're doing all the time, asking why, and then trying to investigate and find the reasons why. Um, but I think sometimes that's drummed out of kids as they go through to the school system. And that's where innovation comes from. That's where ideas comes from. That's how we, we, we tackle the problems that we face. You know, why is this? Well, well, can we get to the root of it? And so if we're, t- we're sucking that out of our kids, that's a terrible thing to do because that's what we, those are the skills we need in the future. Mm-hmm. And so, so learning things by rote or, you know, times table. You know, so, oh, yes, you, I know my seven times table. And there were countries in the world where they do things like that. The kids all know their times table, but they lack imagination and they lack the creativity. Mm-hmm. So let's enhance that. Let's bring that out in our kids. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's what I find. But yes, as a curious scientist myself, and for someone who the inner child burns bright, (laughs) I think I never actually grew up. I think that's my problem. (laughs) I mean, you've talked about curiosity being really important um, for scientists. What other skills do you think are crucial? For a scientist, I think persistence. Yeah. Um, Because um, sometimes you sort of go to the lab or you're sort of in the office or you're looking at the data and you think, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. And, And sometimes you just need to go away from it, do something else. Sometimes it's washing up. Yesterday, I was sort of tidying up the house, which I rarely do. <laughs> and it just sort of takes your mind off the problem you're tackling. Mm. Uh, but it is persistence because um, the answers don't just sort of drop from trees. It takes a, a, and um, uh, we're at a level of science now where there is so many challenges. People have done so much. We are standing on the shoulders of giants. So people have found out so much that the low hanging fruit is gone. And so to get to the answer of these things, you might need the Large Hadron Collider or a telescope, you know, the size of, uh, of a garden to actually sort of probe the universe but um, uh, when we do we can discover all sorts of things so I think yeah a, a strong curiosity but then persistence to pursue the questions you answer mm. you, or you're asking so you can get the answers and the, I suppose the knowledge too that if you fail it doesn't mean you have failed oh, it no. means that you haven't yet succeeded yes and I think that's one of the things I discovered and there have been a number of times in my life where I've fallen, you know, fallen flat on my face you know in the mud you know wanting, oh it's all gone horribly wrong and, um, and the key is that okay you, know, you mourn that fact that I'm in the mud and I've fallen over and it's gone horribly wrong but then you pick yourself up and say okay okay that didn't work what next and find sort of that workaround which I think is a dyslexic trait definitely to find the workaround so um, yeah so, so to me success isn't not failing mm-hmm. success is picking yourself up when you have failed and working at another way of doing it <laughs> So when you were little, your dream was to go to the moon, to go into space. You haven't been in space yet, have you? No, I'm working on it. You're working on it. When I, when I was listening to you talking, you were saying, you know, it's been a long time since people last le- landed on the moon, but you feel that the moon, we've still got a lot to learn about the moon and it's still really relevant to life on Earth. Are you hopeful that you might go to the moon? I mean, am I looking at someone who in a few years' time I'll be watching on TV getting very excited about going, I met her once! <laughs> She's waving from the moon. I think that's the power of the crazy dream. I still believe it. 
it's possible. It's getting more into a retirement plan. <laughs> but, but I think, I don't know. Uh, the, the probability is against me, but that's never stopped me. And I still believe I'll, I'll get out there. And, um, and yes, it's very odd. The only time my dream wavered was when I had my daughter. Because when Lauren was born, um, I suddenly thought, I can't just go gadding into space. I've got this amazing person here. And I want to sort of dedicate my life to looking after her. And so yeah, it is definitely more of a retirement plan. When, you, when she's old enough, um, she likes art and I like science. So we're going to go out together. She'll cover, um, she'll do space art. I'll do space science and we'll, we'll, we'll travel the universe together. LAUGHTER <laughs> um... So I just, I'm sitting next to my son here who's very excited about meeting you. And Ludo, you might have to close your ears for this one. Um, apart from your book, which we're going to talk about in a second, uh, what would you give a space mad child for Christmas? Ooh, for Christmas. Mmm, things are so much, there's really good space stuff out there. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make um, uh, a YouTube channel that taps in because NASA, European Space Agency, all these guys got some amazing stuff out there, videos uh, for the inquisitive child, for the curious child. And so I'm trying to put it all together. But, I, oh, okay, I think it would have to be the universe. I think I'll give them, so I wouldn't say a telescope, I'd say a pair of good astronomical binoculars. Because a telescope uh, is quite expensive, and also telescopes take quite a bit of setting up. But a good pair of astronomical binoculars, and I say astronomical binoculars because they have a, a wider opening in the front. Um, because during the day, um, there's lots of you know, sunlight about, you can see things, it's quite easy. Um, what you need for um, astronomical bu- um, binoculars is a wide opening so you can gather as much light in as possible. And then, because um, then you're effectively giving them the gift of the universe. They can look out there on a clear night, nip out in the garden with the binoculars, check a few things out, you know, the International Space Station going on over the craters of the moon, you know, the, the, um, um, the actual galaxy. That, um, that we can see our Andromeda galaxy our next door neighbour galaxy all of those things you can see with a pair of binoculars so I think that's that's the gift yeah, the gift of the universe <laughs> the gift of the universe well um, Ludo let me know if that's on your Christmas list <laughs> um, Maggie thank you so much it has been so interesting talking to you and it's really inspiring hearing such a successful woman speak who has um, you know done all this with, with dyslexia so I know that it will be very inspiring for our listeners it's lovely to talk to you and thank you so much and lovely to meet you too Luda <laughs> <laughs> your book is um, Dr Maggie's Grand Tour of the Solar System and it's basically for children who are curious about the solar system just to give them a sort of broad understanding it is um, um, all my life I, as I said I've wanted to get out there and um, one of the um, a very famous dyslexic Albert Einstein he used to do thought experiments so he'd sit he had a very boring job as a patent clerk and so he'd sit there you know slumped on one arm and he'd think yeah, what would it be like travelling on a beam of light so in this book, what I've done is I do a thought experiment. Um, I th- imagine what it would be like to travel to the planets of the solar system. And we've sent lots of probes out there, so we've got lots of information about them. But what would it actually be like to go there? So this is um, uh, this is my dream. That's why I call it Dr. Maggie's. It sounds a bit sort of self-serving, but Dr. Maggie's grand tour of the solar system. Because I've always wanted to get out there. And this may be the closest I get, but it's been good fun doing it. <laughs> do you think this generation might get out there? I think I'd say almost certainly. I think space is going through uh, things. I've been waiting all my life, you know, for the moon bases and things like that. And they're slow in coming. But I think there's a new push at the moment, a new excitement with space. Because in the past, space was done mainly by sort of countries with a lot of money. And, and competitiveness. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, see, the space race, that was, that's what it was about. That's how we got to the moon, because it was a competition, mm. sort of on a global scale, but a competition. And so, and we haven't had that sort of push again. But now um, it's not just countries going into 
into space, but it's also commercial entities going into space. And I think more and more of us, uh, I do lots of sort of talks and I ask people, you know, how many people here, if for the cost of a first class ticket to New York, if you'll travel out into space for that price, how many people, yeah, it was just as safe as, as that sort of travel, how many people would go? And virtually every hand in the room goes up. So there's a commercial drive to get people out there. People know that people will pay for this. And so I think that's what, that's what's going to get um, uh, at least our kids and ho- hopefully us too, <laughs> but our kids out there. <laughs> And final question. I mean, obviously, traveling space is dangerous. Would you really go now that you're a mum? If you were, if you were offered, <laughs> it's a big question to end on. You're like, oh, Marina. <laughs> now you throw this at me. No. It's a hard one because that is, that's the only reason of all my life I really, I wanted to get in space. I wanted to get in space. That's been my all empowering. And, um, but, before my daughter was born, um, when I was carrying her, I was thinking, if I go out into space, I, 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 the pull, I think her pull on me is stronger than the space pull. And so I think it's, it's, it's oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I met a chap once who said, if that happened, yeah, yeah, no problem, I'll just go. And I think space is a lot safer. Yeah. So I'm, try, I'm trying to find caveats now. So yeah. I could go, you know, in a weekend and come back and she told me, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so space is a lot safer now. But it is still um, a it is still a, a challenge for me. I, I think her, her, her gravitational pull is stronger than me than the moon's, but, oh, but the moon's is still very oh, strong. I think that is a really lovely way to think of motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. Um, your book, uh, Doctor Maggie's Grand Tour of the Solar System, is available from all good bookshops. It's I've got it here actually. It's such a lovely book, and um, I'm hoping you're going to sign it for my other child, Iona, who's also very passionate about space. Um, for her for her stocking. Oh, that'll be my pleasure and thank you so much it's been a lovely conversation oh thank you and thank you all for listening to another episode of the parenthood please don't forget to subscribe rate and review us you can also follow me on instagram i'm at marina.fogel but thanks for listening and from maggie and me goodbye goodbye